So we must do the work of Abraham. Or as Jesus defined it on another occasion, we must do the will of the Father which is in heaven. Now this clearly involves this matter of service. I think we all recognize this, and yet sometimes we seem almost at a loss just to know how to put this into practice. It doesn't always seem too clear to us just how we can help, what we can do, and we, we wonder just what forms our service can take. <clears throat> now we recognize that God has honored us and he has blessed us and that he has shown for us a love which we do not deserve in any way. In fact, it's a love which we cannot really comprehend in all of its depth. Perhaps sometimes we feel that really we don't do very much uh, in return for that love and that mercy. And we even wonder if there is, really is anything that is practical uh, or concrete that we can do. Now we needn't wonder about this because we know that with honor comes responsibility. We have received very, very much and God expects much of us. Now at the same time we, we know and we recognize that there really isn't anything that we can do to repay God for his kindness to us, or that we can give him anything which he just can't get along without, because everything belongs to God. So the question is, what can we do, and what does the Almighty expect of us, and how can we help? Well, if you would, I'd like to have you turn with me to the 10th chapter of Deuteronomy, because there we can find some words uh, with which we could begin an attempt to answer these questions about service to God. Beginning uh, in Deuteronomy 10 at verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul? to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord thy God, the earth also, and all with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you, above all people 
as it is this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your hearts, and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is God of gods, and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgments of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave, and swear by his name. He is thy praise, and he is thy God, that hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. And so what, what was it here that Israel were asked to do? Well, they were asked simply to fear, in the correct understanding of this term, to walk, to love, and to serve. Now, there are words elsewhere in the scripture similar to these. Much later, God reminded Israel through the prophet Micah of their responsibility to him in words which sound very much like these that we have just read in Deuteronomy 10 at verse 12. There he said, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy? and to walk humbly with thy God. Well then, if these words are meant as much for us as they were for natural Israel, and I think they, they were and are, then our work is really cut out for us. And all of our service, whether we think of it as something very small or something very important, uh, must be in strict accord with these words that we have read in the 10th chapter of Deuteronomy, and also uh, these words which we've quoted from the prophet Micah. And whatever we do must be done because of our love for God and Christ and one another, out of fear and reverence and desire for justice and mercy, and in a spirit of humility. Now we'd like to suggest that there is a logical order of things, uh, two things, especially to our uh, service. What we mean by this is that the kind of service which God finds acceptable should come more and more naturally from us as our understanding of God's Word grows deeper and makes clearer to us just what our responsibilities are and also as we learn to understand ourselves better and as we learn to do this if the scriptures are working are working in our minds 
we ought to respond by becoming more and more giving of ourselves. Now, for all of us, the very first step in our service to God comes when we learn that there is a way that leads unto life, and that it isn't any of the ways which men usually think it is. And in this early phase of our uh, service to God, we have one major responsibility, and that is to learn uh, to look into the Word of God to see what it would have us to know and to let ourselves be taught by it. Now, while we say that this is the early phase of our service to God, this is not a stage through which we will pass and then uh, leave behind us because this is a continuing and it's an absolutely vital part of our service. Because whatever we do in the name of God and Jesus Christ is only of any value as it grows out of the spiritual conviction which the scriptures give us and only as it is done in the frame of mind which, which was in all the faithful servants of God that we read about in the Word and especially in His Son, Jesus Christ. A man cannot truly serve God regardless of how noble he may think his intentions are unless he knows God as he really is, as he has revealed himself in the Word. And yet, on the other hand, a man may think he knows God as he really is and be seriously lacking in the kind of faithful response which that uh, knowledge should have produced in him. But the true servant of God must be neither of these. First of all, he must know God as he really is. And secondly, he must strive to obey God in all things and to bear that fruit uh, which God would have him to produce in his life. Shortly before his death, Jesus told his disciples something about what would happen when he returned to sit upon the throne of his glory. He would say to those upon his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now why would they be judged worthy of this great blessing? Jesus went on with these words, For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Now people sometimes accuse us of overemphasizing the importance of doctrine 
sometimes they even accuse us of thinking that a correct understanding of doctrine will uh, save us. Now, hopefully, they misunderstand us when they think this. Because if we correctly understand the scriptures, it is really uh, two things. A correct understanding of the, uh, the gospel, of doctrine, and then continuing obedience to its requirements, which will ultimately save us. And if we're not mistaken, it is a correct understanding of the gospel, baptism into Jesus Christ, that will place men before the throne of Christ to be judged. This is how they get into this picture which Jesus is painting in this uh, reference that we've just quoted from. Because they know these things and they have accepted them, they are there to be judged. But what is the basis on which they are judged? It's not just how correct their understanding was in all of its details, but rather it is on the basis of what they have done with what they have received from God. And in the parable of the talents, Jesus made it very clear uh, that this would be the basis of their eternal reward or their death. So we see how very important this matter of service is and why it's very important for us to have a clear understanding of what it involves. Now to get back to this first phase of our service to God, we said that it, it is part of that phase of our service, a continuing phase, is to absorb continually the word into our minds. Because as we do so, it works in us and it re-educates us. It makes us aware of the things which we lack and which we need to work to develop. The Word of God shows us clearly to ourselves as we are. It shows us what our weaknesses are and it shows us what our strengths can be. And at the same time that it makes us aware of our needs, it does something else. It makes us aware of the fact that others have needs too, and that we are to do everything we can to help. The Apostle Paul said these words, and I think we can accept them as being directed to us. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now perhaps the apostle was thinking of what Jesus had said to his disciples on that occasion when he washed their feet. Just think now. Jesus was the man to whom had been promised all the kingdoms of the world. And he had the power to take these kingdoms unto himself. He could have called twelve legions of angels to his side to defend him at any time. 
And yet, he had shown his disciples in a very humbling way just what his attitude was and what their attitude should be. And Jesus said, as it's recorded in John's Gospel on that occasion, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done unto you. Now Jesus doubtless had much more in mind than simply the washing of feet. And this was what we might call an acted-out parable. And it points us to the second phase of our service to God, which is ministering to the needs of others. That is, and we're thinking specifically now, uh, the needs of the body of Christ. So you see how, in a sense, this process moves from self to outside of self. It begins with our looking into the law of God and looking within ourselves to see what needs to be changed. And then it progresses from this recognition of our own needs to a recognition of the needs of others. Now we don't mean to draw a distinction here because we realize that we can't really separate the one from the other. We know, to repeat what we've already said, that we have to continue to dwell in the Word. And in meditation, and in prayer. Because the more we know of the Divine Mind, the more effectively we will be able to serve. Because we have to be transformed from self-centered, self-seeking creatures to God-centered creatures who desire, after the example of Jesus Christ, to serve rather than be served. And so, assuming that we recognize that this responsibility exists, and I think we do, we probably wonder at times just what practical forms our service can take. What can we do? What should we do? We might say, first of all, that we should watch always for the opportunity to serve. This in itself is really a part of our service, this awareness of others and their needs. Now, if we realize that service, as the poet from whom we quoted earlier had said, may be true service even in very small things, then we won't have to wait very long to see what needs to be done. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians, As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now Paul himself was a faithful servant. 
of God and Jesus Christ, and indeed his whole life after his dramatic conversion was one of selfless service and giving to others. Of course, we know that his mission was a very clearly defined one because he had received it directly from Jesus Christ uh, in these words, uh, as Paul recounted them in his defense at Jerusalem. The God of our Father, now this is, these are the words of Christ, the God of our Father hath chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And so the apostle was to preach and to teach, and his special ministry or service, if you will, uh, his mission was to be to the, primarily to the Gentiles. And it was to reveal the truth to those who were ignorant of it. And Paul literally forsook all that he had and followed after, took up his cross and followed after Jesus Christ. He literally presented his body a living sacrifice, considering that in view of the mercy uh, shown to him, it was no more than his reasonable service. And so after the example of the apostle, perhaps the biggest of our responsibilities, at least uh, to those outside the household of faith, is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and of the things concerning the name of Jesus Christ. Now, brethren and sisters, we can all do this in some way, to some extent, whether we consider ourselves articulate or just so tongue-tied that we, we can't speak, whether we consider ourselves introverted or extroverted, because whether or not we think of it this way, we are, every moment, someone is watching us, telling that person something about the things which we believe, the things which we stand for, and the things which we're serious about. The opportunity to preach to others with words, the opportunities to do this, rather, are only as frequent as those who will listen to us. But the opportunities to witness are virtually endless because we witness by being truly conscious all the time that we are not our own, that we are bought with a price, that we are Jesus Christ. And if we are conscious of this all the time, people are going to see this They'll notice it. If we are consistently Christ-like, then the things which we say in our Lord's behalf will carry a great deal more weight in the minds of others than if we are not. What we're really saying here is that our consistent service to God in these small things, the daily 
little things. And we put this word small in quotes because very often we tend to think that the things we do from day to day uh, in our service to, as part of our service to God and Christ are very small and insignificant things. But we know from the word that God looks on the heart and upon our motives. So that perhaps these small things are much more significant than we realize. And what we're saying is that our consistent service to God in these small things will have a direct bearing on our service in the larger things. And if we are faithful in these little things, then our preaching or teaching or simply commending the word of God to others will have far more effect than if we are only intermittently faithful. To the Colossians, Paul wrote these words, Whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men. And then Jesus said this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. So here we've combined the words of the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ to show how they complement and reinforce one another. Now we've been speaking about service to God somewhat uh, in general terms, but for a few minutes let's consider one special aspect of this subject, and we've already referred to it, and that is our service within the household, within the ecclesia. And what our attitude should be is in these words of the Apostle John from his first epistle. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he, that is, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So this is really the essence of our service to our brothers and sisters, a giving up of self. It isn't the thing which comes easily to us. Jesus Christ laid down his life for his friends, and we in turn are asked to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now this doesn't mean literally to die on their behalf, because this wouldn't accomplish anything as the death of Jesus did, but rather to give up our natural inclinations, uh, the chief of which is to promote ourselves, and to see what we can do to help our brother or sister. Now in this matter, one tendency which we have is to sort of set our minds firmly on one kind of service and to say, I can do this, but I can't do other things. And perhaps we shouldn't do this. 
well, look at brother so-and-so. He can do such and such, and I just can't do that. He really has a talent for it, and I don't have any talent. I just, I'm just not any good for anything. Well, now, this isn't true, of course. And we really should try to overcome this tendency which we have to grade our service. Uh, because, to repeat what we've already said, God looks at the heart. He examines our motives. You recall the account uh, of the widow which Jesus and some of his disciples were watching as she cast two little mites, a very insignificant sum, into the temple treasury. Now in terms of absolute financial value, two mites couldn't do much, but this was all she had, literally, and she willingly gave it. And in doing this, she gave more than the others who were wealthy, for whom giving was really not much of a sacrifice. Now God asks of us, according to what we have to give, according to what we can give. And there are things which each of us here can do. They're not exactly the same things for each of us. Now we can learn about this from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, uh, that a body has many parts, each uh, of which have their own function, each contributing to the health of the others, uh, to the whole body. Now the Corinthians, in whom the power of the Holy Spirit was visibly active in spirit gifts, were interested above all in the most glamorous of these gifts, which they felt was the ability to speak in other languages. And Paul made it very clear to them that this was entirely the wrong attitude, because he asked them, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And the obvious answer to each of these questions was no, because there were many things to be done, and if everyone did the same things, then the other necessary things would not get done. Now the problem may be that there are uh, duties, responsibilities within uh, the body which are very clearly defined and others which are not so clearly defined. Some we might say uh, are sort of cut and dried. Can you do such and such? Yes, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, and really in a sense, th these are the easier kinds of service because they are so well defined. But what about these things that aren't so clearly defined? Well, I think in, in trying to see what they are, we must first realize that our responsibility above all 
within the ecclesia of God is to know and to care for one another. And to the extent that we learn to do this, we give up self-centeredness. Our service to God within the ecclesia, and I'm not speaking about ecclesias in a geographic sense, but about the whole body, the whole uh, assembly of called out ones, and that includes all of those who have taken upon themselves the name of Christ in truth. Our service to God within the ecclesia may be something so small that we just don't see it as a service at all. This isn't necessarily bad. What forms could something like this take? Perhaps just a friendly greeting and a smile and something in our expression which says to a brother or sister, I care about you because you are Christ and you and I both love the same thing. Perhaps it is a willingness to discuss something with someone else or just to listen to someone, to be a pair of ears. Now things like this, small though they seem to be, may be a very significant part of our service within the ecclesia and therefore of our service to God and Christ. Because of our love for other members of Christ's body, our service to God may simply be our willingness to maintain uh, a sort of open-door policy in ourselves and in our homes, never shutting ourselves out from others and therefore shutting others out from us. A desire to serve may find itself expressed in a, a vital uh, and loving interest in our young people and the development of their character. We might ask in this regard, what kind of a person are we to them? How do we look? Are we warm and cordial and forgiving? Are we merciful and willing to help? Do we encourage? Or do we look more like a pair of folded arms and a thou shalt not? We should be, we should appear above all as one who is there willing and ready to help, to instruct, to guide, to exhort and encourage. Our special ability may even be to help keep alive some spark of interest in spiritual things, uh, in a friend or a loved one, or perhaps even uh, in a brother or sister in whom faith has grown weak. But whatever we do, whatever we find that needs to be done and that we can do, <clears throat> A devotion to God's will and to one another will help us take very seriously our responsibilities as members of the household of faith.
And this, in fact, really is one of our greatest contributions, a willingness to take seriously our high and holy calling and to do everything as unto the Lord. Indeed, we may serve more than we realize just by being faithful members uh, of the individual ecclesia to which we belong, by inspiring and provoking one another to good work, by faithful attendance at meetings, by being, and this seems like a very small thing, but it's not, by being an alert and uh, thoughtful listener to the one breaking the word, and by absorbing gratefully all that is given to us from the word of God, and by building up the inner man so that we will have more and more to give of ourselves to others both inside and outside the Ecclesia of God. To quote from a book called The New Life by Brother John Marshall, which you can get here in the bookstore, the father expects his, that his children will preserve the majesty and honor of his name in all that they say and do. And these are words which I think we could well afford to memorize and to remember always. Because divine wisdom and the love of God should not only be evident in the things which we say, but in everything we do, wherever we are. And this is just another way of saying that people should not only hear the truth from us, but that they should also see it in us. And this may be, and it ought to be, a very important part of our service to God. James wrote these words, The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruit without partiality and without hypocrisy. And these two are words which we should know well and try to develop in us. As Brother Ned told us last night, and as we well know if we read the newspapers and watch any television at all, the world is a very dark place, and men today Realistic men and women don't have very much hope for the future of society. We're living in very troubled and confused times, and the very roots of society are diseased and dying. And the greatest service which we can perform to God and to man is to tell others and to show them that there is a brighter day coming, a day when crime and immorality and poverty and political corruption will be things of the past, when the law shall go forth from Zion and Christ will rule over a renewed, refreshed, 
unpolluted earth, and there will be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And it is our hope to be a part of this. We said earlier that Jesus Christ could have had all of the kingdoms of the world at his first coming if he'd wanted to take them. But he knew that had he done so, he could not have fulfilled the purpose which God had in him. Jesus knew that before exaltation must come humility. And he lived among those to whom he had been sent, as he said, as one that served. He was a humble, a humble, suffering servant who denied himself every temporal advantage, gaining absolutely nothing from a strictly worldly point of view, and yet gaining absolutely everything from an eternal point of view. And Jesus himself said that he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And this was illustrated in him when God raised him from the dead to die no more. Well, let us each strive to follow the example of our brother and master, Jesus Christ, and humble ourselves, giving of ourselves, whatever we can, wherever we can, whether in large things or small, that by the grace of God we too may be exalted to eternal life, and that we may be among those to whom Jesus has said, Fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom.